Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. I can hear you guys fine. Am I, you hear me fine? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's just, uh, you know, Twitter spaces can be a little a little finicky sometimes, but uh, I, I think uh, I hear you. I think we're doing well now. Sounds how's uh, how's your night going? Or where are you? Is it evening or morning or where are you, where are you based? I'm here in the Bay Area in California. Uh, just, I mean, sunset's so early these days, but it's nighttime now. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here in California. What about you guys? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we're we're a little bit. I'm on. Oh my bad, Jessica. You're gonna say yeah, where no, you're from? Yeah, you know, we're a little, little, little sporadic. I'm based out of Texas. Um, nice. Mia choose the mountain man. Colorado. <laughs> what about you, Super? What, what do you? What does that make you? Um, I'm an aquatic wazi yeah. on the East National Coast. Champ, I guess, huh? National yeah. champ. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Chase is a fed, by the way, Larry. So just be careful what you tell him. I'll, I'll, I'll be careful what I say on here. Yeah, <laughs> I do my taxes. Don't worry. <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. That's awesome. Did uh, where were you based out? Well, welcome. Prior to RTX, or did you move out there for RTX? Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, uh, went to school in Boston at MIT, and spent a few years in New York um, after school, and then been in the Bay Area for about five years or so. Yeah, but I'm heading back down to LA uh, sometime this quarter. Um, no place like home. So, um, yeah, we're, we're working remote anyways. I'm going to try the nomad life for a little bit, I think, but uh, I like having a home base too. So, We'll see how that all goes. <laughs> nice. There you go, me too. Maybe uh, Larry can uh, part some advice for you. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Larry, we can collab, bro. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Bro. Where are you? Where do you? Where are you thinking about heading? All over the place, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm literally selling everything I own, and I'm just going to be traveling around with a backpack. Um, so. It's going to be pretty wild. I love but, it. I love it. Uh, I'm going to go like across the United States mm-hmm. first and then um, looking at doing some stuff in like Switzerland and Norway and uh, Greece, that's, all over the place. That's now. awesome, man. I hope COVID behaves so we can, you know, have more of these crypto conferences. I still remember the golden era. I mean, I, I was crypto in like 2017 and 2018, 2019. It's just like blockchain week here, blockchain week there. Uh, just really fun times and also productive too. So. Um, just been hitting up some local U.S. conferences. Excited for ETH Denver next month. Um, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Excited. Uh, we'll be there, Larry. We'll have to meet oh, up. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm excited. Yeah, it, pain, it oh, pains me that... Uh, I actually think that that's like a really... Uh... Go for it. Sorry, not go go for me too. And this connection is a little slow, guys. So I feel like there that might be some awkward interruptions at this point because Twitter Spaces is running a little slow. Yeah, go ahead, me too. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I thought that that was like a really good segue. Uh, we always like to ask new guests when they come on the show, like how they got into crypto. Yeah, you know, my story is uh, it's not too interesting. I've heard some crazy, like, hopping down the rabbit hole stories. But, um, you know, my, uh, my experience in crypto started, you know, I was a consultant at Oliver Wyman right out of college. You know, they say when you don't know what you want to do out of college, you go into consulting. So that's what I, exactly what I did. Um, had the luxury of, you know, spending five years there, did about 15 projects. And, you know, the last few projects I did had a crypto element to it. And, you know, I uh, was doing a project for the World Economic Forum, looking at trends in payments, uh, looking at things like M-Pesa, which is like a mobile to mobile payments over cellular in Kenya. Um, and, you know, a lot, of course, like Western Union for remittances, but Bitcoin popped up. This is back in like 2015, 2016. And that's when I first heard about it. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like in the recommendation we sent to the World Economic, World Economic Forum, it was like, don't look at this. You know, it's way too early. Um, so that was funny that, you know, I didn't really get it back then. And then the next project I did was for a really big uh, financial market utility called the OCC, the Options Clearing Corporation. They clear and settle like 99% of derivatives in the U.S., right? And they were looking to build a brand new system for their clearing infrastructure, um, which is operating on this like T plus five basis. Right. Um, and in that they were evaluating blockchain, not as a currency, but as like a infrastructure for this clearing system. And again, you know, my consulting company, uh, you know, it wasn't me making the recommendation, but the partners on the project basically recommended, you know, um, blockchain is not ready to support something. They ended up going with a, uh, third-party solution from NASDAQ. But, you know, at that time, uh, I think it was right. You know, crypto wasn't ready or blockchain wasn't ready. So um, after that, you know, that was a really burnout project for me. So I did, decided to take some time off. Uh, went to Australia and New Zealand for three months, just like backpacking, um, you know, uh, just taking my uh, time off work. And, and during that time, started talking to some travelers that were, you know, uh, didn't really have bank accounts, uh, were just living off crypto, living off Bitcoin. And that's when I first started to create my first wallets and things like that. Got back from my vacation and, you know, decided that they didn't want to do consulting anymore and um, really started to look into jobs and crypto. And, you know, I still remember reading that Bitcoin white paper um, during that World Economic Forum project. And I had a really like gut reaction that, wow, this is really cool. It's really interesting. It makes a lot of sense that, you know, money should be decentralized and not like localized into any uh, government or controlled by any single entity. And I remember my buddy, Ida, he runs a big fund called Shima Capital now. Um, he recommended I look into IOTEX because he was a really early seed, a seed stage investor. Um, this was back in January of 2018. And when I read the IOTEX white paper, I got the same exact reaction I did, but in a different way, right? Where we're reimagining the way that our devices are powered, our data is managed, and value is created and passed along to users. So, you know, that's, that was four years ago, man. It's crazy to think about the journey since then. Um, but that's how I got into crypto. It was really through, um, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with it in my professional career and deciding to take the plunge. Um, you know, I've always been kind of, you know, uh, libertarian at heart, um, you know, not trusting corporations, especially working 
for them for five years, you start to know the inner workings of these corporations are, you know, they're capitalists, right? And it's totally fine that they're capitalists. But, you know, I think one person told me a really good saying is, you don't want to, um, you know, don't fix the old system, build a new system, right? So I really took that to heart. And I'm super glad I did, man. Uh, It's just been a really crazy journey at IOTEX. And now I think um, we have a new vision that we just announced at the end of 2021 called MachineFi, um, where we're starting to make this blockchain and IoT thing a reality. So excited to chat more about uh, everything MachineFi and what IOTEX has planned for 2022 throughout the call. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think I think you're our first guest that's ever like worked at the West. Uh, what was that like? I'm just I'm just kind of curious. Like, what was that? What was that work environment like? Over there? It was really interesting, man. Um, it was it was an unconventional project because like most of the projects I worked at um, at Oliver Wyman were digital transformation projects for big banks or big like financial market utilities, and this was kind of like a a collaboration between a lot of different consulting companies and the World Economic Forum. Um, and, you know, it was interesting because we were writing guidance for, we we're basically writing a discussion document that, you know, really big names would, uh, discuss during the Davos summit, um, like Larry Summers, who used to be, I think the fed chairman, like the queen of the Netherlands, all these people that, you know, I didn't have the luxury to meet, but we knew that the guidance and whatever kind of perspectives we were putting together would be discussed in Davos from like some, some of the biggest names in the world, right? So um, it was a really cool project. It was unconventional from all the other projects I did. Um, but yeah, the deliverable, instead of being like a solution, was just a deck, right? So it gave you a lot of freedom to just explore. You know, our task was just research all of the things that are going on in payments and provide guidance on uh, what could stick, right? So it's really interesting to think about, you know, we, we looked at every uh, corner of the world, right? Um, I mentioned M-Pesa in Kenya and, you know, Kenya doesn't have reliable banks. Uh, so it's really interesting to see that they leapfrogged that entire banking infrastructure and went directly to mobile to mobile payments via cellular. Right. Um, and I think the same thing is, is starting to happen with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. You know, you see Venezuela, uh, Venezuela really badly needs something that's more decentralized. You see El Salvador, uh, maybe leapfrogging, maybe uh, the mobile payment revolution and going straight into Bitcoin. So, um, you know, it's always the infrastructure uh, that inf- influences the applications, I think. So, um, yeah, that was a really cool project for sure. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me. My timer went off when I hit unmute. But, uh, Larry... Can you explain what IOTIX is at a high level just for some people that, you know, maybe haven't researched IOTIX or maybe this is their first time hearing of it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the core of what IOTEX is, we are a layer one blockchain, um, EVM compatible, uh, cheaper, faster, more decentralized than Ethereum, like more, uh, most of the layer ones out there today, you know, very bullish on ETH 2.0, so not a knock on Ethereum is just the, the, the lay of the land right now, right? But, you know, what differentiates IOTEX from some of these other general purpose layer one blockchains that are focused specifically on GameFi and DeFi is we have a really big focus from the start about connecting real world devices as well as the data and the value that these devices create 
to decentralized applications. And, you know, it's a huge total addressable market we're talking about. You know, by 2030, there's going to be 100 billion machines and devices around the world generating 80 zettabytes of data. That's 80 trillion gigabytes of data. And McKinsey estimates that the IoT is going to be worth $12.6 trillion by 2030. And, you know, we have always believed, and I think it's a fact now that the human, the, the workforce of the future are going to be machines, right? So if we consider all of these things to be true or even somewhat true, you have to ask yourself, right? Who's going to own these machines? Who's going to own this future workforce? Who's going to own that $12.6 trillion in value? And I think the total addressable market for blockchain and IoT is massive. You know, a lot of people think about the big prize in DeFi, the big prize in GameFi. I think once people start to understand that, you know, IOTEX is making blockchain and IoT a reality, this is going to be the next big sector that people are going to start looking into and investing into, right? Um, and, you know, IOTEX, we started back in 2017. Um, the founders come from uh, really high-level executive jobs at Facebook, Uber, Google, and uh, the VC space, and you know, decided to go on this journey to create um, IOTEX, um, which is, uh, you know, we have a lot of different slogans for IOTEX. Internet of Trusted Things is one of them, but the newest type of vision that we have is for MachineFi, right? How do we allow everyday people and everyday businesses to own and control their machines, as well as the data and value that their machines generate, right? Um, a lot of people think about, you know, uh, privacy and security online in the sense of you know, your Spotify history or, you know, what you've clicked or what websites you visit or what you purchased on Amazon. But, you know, devices are really the gateways between the digital and the physical worlds, right? Your wearable knows everything about your health, even more than you do, right? Your security camera knows where you're entering and leaving your house, your vehicle knows where you've traveled and how fast you've driven, right? And a lot of this data can be used in the Web3 context, not necessarily as selling your data, which a lot of people uh, assume is our end goal. It's not, you know, it's really about using data from our machines to prove things that we've done in the real world and to earn digital assets, right? I think this whole play to earn phenomenon uh, in the GameFi space has piqued a lot of people's interest, right? Where your people are doing things in the digital world in order to earn digital assets or digital reputation. What IOTEX is trying to enable is for people to do things in the real world to earn digital assets or digital reputation. Whether it's, you know, lose five pounds to earn lower insurance rates or drive more environmentally friendly routes to uh, get some type of reward or benefit or whether it's visit a specific event or concert in order to get an NFT, right? Where devices are really the proof generators. They're proving things that people have done in the real world in order to trigger business logic via smart contracts. Um, you know, MachineFi is its own category of dApps that IOTEX is really pioneering, but there's also a lot of really interesting intersections between machines and DeFi and machines in GameFi, machines in Metaverse, and also machines in DAOs that, you know, I'd love to touch on all of those because there's so much opportunity when we think about bringing the real world to blockchain. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to hop in here because you had brought up like a really interesting point around um, IoT devices. Just recently, I was reading a report from the BIS 
where they laid out a vision for technology-driven green finance. And in the uh, research paper, they specifically call out the usage of IoT data and how that combining that with oracles can execute smart contracts for payments, certificates, and you know ownership changes of these yeah. green assets are the sensors for green finance is that something that iotex has like thought about and really kind of you know because you, you said you know it's a very very large market i'm curious like is green finance and utilizing sensors and that data a part of your vision of kind of this future for out it absolutely well? is you know like i think a lot of people in the crypto space are very familiar with things like proof of work and proof of stake right people think about these things as consensus mechanisms but to break it down a little bit, like these aren't necessarily consensus mechanisms. These are literally proofs that people provide to the blockchain in order to get some reward, benefit, or permission, right? If you solve this computationally intensive puzzle, then you're the right to mint the next Bitcoin block and earn that Bitcoin reward. If you stake 32 ETH, you have the permission to be a validator, right? So what if we could expand that design space to be proof of anything, right? Proof of health, proof of safety, proof of running, proof of uh, all these different things you could prove to the blockchain and earn uh, rewards through these incentive models that are smart, smart contracts in themselves, right? When we think about the green energy space, I think this is one of the biggest you know, uh, trends in the 2020s. It's going to be the ESG kind of industry, right? Environmental and social good. Um, you know, whether it's in the carbon credit space, you know, proving that you've made uh, deliberate actions to remove your carbon, uh, to reduce your carbon footprint, to earn rewards. Uh, even, you know, we talked to some projects, there's one called like Open Forest Protocol, where they need proof of planting new trees in order to get new incentives, right? Or even uh, staring out my window right now, all these buildings out there, right? If you can prove that you're lowering the amount of electricity you use, by automating the light switches or, you know, proving that you've saved energy, you should get a reward for that, right? But mostly all these carbon credits are reserved for the big companies like Tesla or, you know, the government is directly incentivizing corporations to do things to lower their carbon footprint. What blockchain and Web3 really allows us to do is push those incentives down to the most granular level to the individual, right? By incentivizing individuals to live a more green lifestyle or to you know, be more conscious of uh, how they're treating the earth, they should be rewarded for that too, right? So that's a really big opportunity in, in uh, the green energy space. I just think this is, you know, there's so many things that uh, can be proven uh, in order to gain incentives, right? Like all of the, all, it's important to think about all of these dApps and blockchains themselves as kind of two-sided marketplaces, right? There's always someone that's incentivizing someone else to do something that they wouldn't necessarily do on their own accord. On the layer one blockchain level, this is all those server operators, all these block producers, all these nodes, right? No one's running nodes and servers on the weekend for shits and giggles, right? They're doing this for the incentive, right? And at the DApp level, if you think about an insurance use case, the insurance company wants to incentivize you to be healthier or to drive better. Uh, and they're going to pay you to do that because it's a win-win situation, right? If they can have less claims to file, they would be happy to pay you to be a better driver, right? In the States, we see all these like discount double check, all state state safe drivers checks, where at the end of the year, if you don't get in an accident, they're going to pay you or uh, lower your insurance rate, right? 
that just doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good driver. It just means you may, you may have gotten lucky and not gotten in an accident, right? But if you can break down the data from your vehicle to say, hey, I have worn my seatbelt 24-7. You know, I have a dash cam facing outside and inside that shows my uh, eyes are on the road 90% of the time. I've always worn my seatbelt. You know, I've never driven over the speed limit. Imagine how low your car insurance rate could go down if you could opt in to sharing this data with your insurance company, right? And if you're a shitty driver, you're a crazy driver, then you own that data. You don't have to share this with the insurance company. So it really pushes power to the people and allows them to opt in to participate in these uh, incentive models that are kind of just uh, you know open and verifiable in smart contracts. So um, I went on a tangent there, but there's just so many industries that this touches, right? Um, IoT is definitely a horizontal technology, right? It's devices are used in our homes, in our cities, at our workplace uh, to measure our workouts. Uh, and in the future, machines are going to be more and more autonomous, right? Drones, cars, even vending machines today are examples of autonomous machines. Um, the other opportunity for blockchain is fractional ownership of these cash flow generating assets, right? So um, I could go on and on, but let me pause there. Yeah, no, um, like that. All that is really super interesting, honestly. Because um, I, I just want to touch back on your point about people, all this going in these next few years. And I know um, I'm I'm a little bit younger than uh, Chase and Mewtwo, but I know people in my generation aren't really focusing on what blockchain is really doing. Like they they just think, like, oh, Dogecoin or she, uh, you know, Sheepcoin or whatever. It's not how it's revolutionizing basically every industry on the earth um and how that can help us and i think you touched on a lot of interesting points uh like on incentivizing programs right like you could do a proof of exercise or a proof of health um that incentivizes people to literally just work out or eat better right and that that would lower our obesity rate here at least here in america for sure yeah Uh, other country rates are probably lower higher whatever but um can you touch on like the security measures you guys are uh, putting in place uh, through your tamper-proof devices? Yeah, and how they integrate with the IOTEX? Absolutely, you know. So um, IOTEX, over the past four years, right? We've done a lot. We built a blockchain completely from scratch. Um, we've built a number of devices uh, that are fully functional products. One of them is called UCAM. You can buy it on Amazon.com right now. There's about ten thousand of them sold across sixty plus countries in the world. And this one doesn't stream data to the blockchain, but it uses blockchain identity as a way for people to own all of the videos that come out of this camera, right? We basically use blockchain as a login mechanism, your private key as a login, and then the system will use your private key or take your private key and end-to-end encrypt all the videos with that private key that only you own, right? IOTEX doesn't have it. Um, no one has it except you. So only you can decrypt those videos. That's one form of how, you know, in the long run, blockchain can transform the way that our devices operate, right? Making them more user-owned and user-centric, right? Um, the newest device that we have is called Pebble Tracker. And this device is a little different from UCAM in the sense that, you know, we designed it to be more of a track and trace, like supply chain product. Um, it has a ton of sensors built into it. It has GPS, temperature, humidity, 
air quality, air pressure, motion, vibration, and light. And more importantly, it has a secure element built into it. A secure element is basically a special type of hardware similar to the ones that you find in your iPhone that does your biometrics, uh, you know, maintain, keeps your fingerprints and your face ID stored in that secure element. It's the same chip that Ledger hardware wallets use to protect your private keys. It's the same chip on your credit card that protects your spending credentials, right? So this specialized piece of hardware is a way to guarantee authenticity and ownership uh, of data, right? Um, and, you know, that's a really big problem. You know, I think um, uh, today, you know, blockchains are stupid until you make them smart, right? Um, Chainlink taught us this, right? Chainlink really catalyzed that DeFi summer 2020 revolution by providing the blockchain with a single version of the truth about what the price of a Bitcoin was at any second, right? Um, but if that uh, price feed wasn't verifiable and trusted by everyone, then none of that lending, borrowing, collateralization, trading stuff would ever happen because no one could agree that, hey, I traded one Bitcoin for 42000 uh, USDT, but you know we don't agree. Maybe someone else thinks it's forty one five, right? Um, so Chainlink taught us the importance of bringing verifiable data to the blockchain. And when we think about IoT devices, you know, IoTechs can be thought of as kind of like a real world data oracle, right? Uh, we have middleware. We have a special oracle system called TrueStream that basically grabs data from these devices uh, with secure elements or without, and brings them to the chain in a verifiable way. Right, establishing a single version of the truth about what happened in the real world, so that we can build business logic on top of that. Right, um, so that's you know it's important to think about. Just like all oracles aren't created equal, all devices aren't created equal either. Right, so um, there's a lot of uh, experimentation that's being done. Right, like um, you mentioned healthcare. There's a D app coming uh, soon on IOTEX called Health Blocks, and they're, they're using a, a near-term model of co-ownership of data, right? They're grabbing data from your Apple Health, uh, your Samsung Health, your Fitbit, and all of these other kind of devices that are issued by these big tech companies. Uh, and they're starting with co-ownership of that data, right? Wouldn't it be great if you could have a record of all that health data from your Apple Watch and, you know, prove that you've taken, uh, taken 10,000 steps and burned 100 calories and earn an incentive from it? And that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, with their D app. But in the long run, what their goal is, is to replace these Google, Apple, big tech company wearables with a wearable that looks a lot like Pebble Tracker, right? Where it's going to give you not co-ownership of this data, but exclusive ownership of this data. And once you have exclusive ownership over something, that means you fully control it, right? Um, a lot of people associate IOTechs with privacy. And I think that's true. But it's more than that, right? Owning your data as property, one of the benefits is you can keep it private, right? You own it. Just like those VHS tapes back in the day, if you bought something, if you bought a VHS tape or a CD back in the day, no one needs to know you have it, right? Um, but if you wanted to lend it to a friend, if you wanted to sell it in a marketplace, you have full control because you own that, right? Data as a property, right, is a really interesting uh, benefit from Web3. And most of the data that is going to be beneficial and useful for us to uh, put in the dApps is going to come from our devices, right? So um, we're not saying this blockchain and IoT revolution is going to happen overnight. You know, Web3, like connecting devices to the blockchain is really, really hard. There's a reason why, you know, uh, IoTex is probably the only company out there or platform out there that's supporting this kind of stuff. It's really, really hard to do this stuff. And we spent the past four years to do it. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of the perspective of how data fits into this, uh, into this bigger picture. Larry, you, you actually, you touched on something really interesting that um, I actually wanted to understand a little mm -hmm. bit more. You, you talked about how IOTX's real world data oracles um, and how you guys are creating a framework to bring that real world data on chain. Uh, I also know that you guys have a integration with Chainlink and, um, you know, Chainlink is kind of that gateway in a sense, historically speaking, when it comes to DeFi data as mm -hmm. of now and bringing that data on chain. So what does that relationship look like? Can you kind of expand on that? Like, are you guys ultimately going to be like a massive data provider um, through the real world devices and bringing that into the Chainlink Oracle network to where then that type of data could be used within the DeFi ecosystem or, you know, whatever kind of incentivization program where you need that verifiable truth to kind of execute on XYZ. Yeah, program. that's a really good question. You know, um, IOTEX is going to be complementary with Chainlink. And, you know, we're really excited for Chainlink to actually launch uh, oracles natively on IOTEX mainnet in probably the next one or two months. Um, it's been a long time we've been waiting for that, and that's going to really unlock a lot of DeFi uh, and cool stuff on IOTEX. But the reason why it's complementary is because it's important to understand what Chainlink offers as a solution, right? Mainly, they provide three things to layer one blockchains or to DApps in general, right? One of them is price feeds. This is probably the lion's share of what people consider to be Chainlink's value prop, right? They give uh, real-time price feeds of the most popular crypto assets, and that's what's really fueling uh, the blue-chip DeFi projects today, right? Uh, another thing that they provide is verifiable random numbers. You know, a lot of these DApps need uh, randomness uh, in a verifiable way. So if someone's running a lottery or someone's you know, needs to run something with provable randomness, people go to Chainlink to query a random number. And the last thing they provide is... Uh, API calls to different uh, historical databases, right? Like if you needed to know the average temperature for the past 10 years in San Francisco, you can use Chainlink to call the Weather Channel API. If you needed to know whether uh, uh, a package was delivered, you can query the UPS or the FedEx API, right? Um, so these are all really important things, but IOTEX and you know our Oracle network called TrueStream are going to provide something completely different and that's pulling real-time data directly from machines like your wearable or your vehicle or your smart home devices. And the reason why this is really important is if you think about a use case like a farm insurance or weather insurance kind of concept, right? If you wanted to create some business logic in a D app that says, you know, if at any time, you know, the weather dips below one standard deviation of the 10-year median temperature, right? Uh, I'm going to pay you out an insurance uh, uh, premium for that, or you know, I'm going to pay you out an uh, insurance claim for that, right? It's a very common thing. All these farms are insuring their crops, right, in case of bad weather. But breaking that down, like what are the components we need in order to make that uh, distinction, right? You need the benchmark and you need the real-time settlement criteria, right? So the benchmark, you can pull that from a chain link oracle to say, you know, uh, query give me the 10-year uh, median temperature for this region, right? But you also need what is the actual temperature on this farm um, that I own, right? You're not going to be able to find that level of granular data or user-owned data from something like the Weather Channel, right? We're talking about macro versus micro, right? And to trigger these 
kind of contracts, you need both, right? Uh, you need the historical benchmark and you need the real-time data. Uh, another example is, you know, uh, in the healthcare space, right? If you wanted to create an incentive model that says, hey, if you um, are in the top 10% healthiest people in your age range, um, then you're going to get some incentive, right? Um, you need to know what the benchmark is, like how healthy are males 30 through 40, and you need to know how healthy you are so you can compare and contrast, right? So it really comes to a lot of data science challenges. Like um, it's really easy to create a D app that incentivizes people to uh, perform an action if you give disproportionate rewards, right? But I think the real um, challenge for blockchain and IOC in the future is more of like a data science and an actuarial science problem, right? Like um, if you wanted to create a D app that runs in equilibrium, you know, not talking about like really aggressive bootstrapping tokenomics where, you know, people can earn a ton of stuff. It's kind of like how Helium got to be so big. You know, we're really big fans of Helium. We think they're, they've done incredible things, but they gave a shit ton of Helium tokens for anyone that set up a hotspot, right? But for them to find that equilibrium point where it's a win-win uh, solution for everyone, I think it's going to be a challenge and um, an exciting challenge at that. But that's kind of how, you know, IOTEX and Chainlink and other Oracle providers are really going to work together. And, you know, it goes back to that design space we're talking about, right? We've always known that real-world data is going to change everything for the blockchain design space. Um, and even, you know, I think that machines are going to be the biggest users of blockchain in the future. Um, and, you know, it has a lot of things to do with the DAOs that are popping up today. Uh, maybe we could touch on that a little later. I'm just rambling a little bit. Yeah, not, uh, not only DAOs, right. But, um, one, before we really start getting into just, uh, machines providing all this data, the, the local or I guess small uh, consumers gonna have to provide their data too. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't like to sell their data already. I mean, their data is already being sold for them right now and uh, whether they know it or not. Uh, so something I just wanted to talk on is uh, your decentralized identity and kind of how that works into your whole IO, uh, IO tech system yeah. um, runs on these devices. For sure. You know, um, we made a big announcement in December that, um, we are actually the founders uh, and chairs of a new IEEE standard. It's called Identity of Things. And, you know, right now it has participation from enterprises like Bosch, Lenovo, Ericsson, Lockheed Martin, um, and a few others. And the goal of this standard is to define how to deliver devices, uh, how to deliver identities to devices, and how these machines can authorize the data in a privacy-preserving fashion, right? There's a lot of ways to institute privacy today, right? Zero knowledge proofs is probably the biggest trend uh, in privacy for blockchain right now. And the premise of zero knowledge proofs is you can prove things about your history without exposing the actual raw data, right? That's one way to do it. That's a software-based approach. The hardware-based appro hardware approach is exactly how your iPhone works today, right? How do you make sure that Apple doesn't have your fingerprints and your face ID when you use it to unlock your phone every day. That's because there is a special secure chip in that phone that you isolate that process to this secure element, right? Your passwords, your face ID, your fingerprints never leave that secure element. And that's a way to institute 
privacy or kind of zero knowledge from a hardware perspective, right? Uh, DID, decentralized identity, has a big role in this, right? A lot of people think about decentralized identity from a person's perspective, right? And rightfully so. You know, I think uh, DID is going to be a big thing. Um, it was a huge topic in, you know, 2018, 2019. It's kind of died down a little bit because DID works in a way where it's kind of like an empty passport, right? That's your decentralized identity. But if you don't have stamps in your passport that prove you've done things like, hey, I went to this school or I have a driver's license in this state, uh, these are all what are called verifiable credentials that associate with your decentralized identity, right? Um, devices will also have decentralized identities and a lot of verifiable credentials that give them access to authorize data to others and to receive data from others, right? They're also going to have certifications about, you know, how this device was manufactured, what type of testing was done on it. And that's going to be an identity that's owned by the device. And again, it could be opted in. You can opt in to share this information whenever your device needs to have some type of permission or authorization, right? Um, so this is a really big part. Identity is a huge part of blockchain that people, you know, think about the zero X, blah, 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 blah as your identity, but there's a lot of new identity mechanisms coming out. It just needs those credentials to be issued. And, um, you know, I think very soon we're going to start to see some really big entities start to issue some of these credentials. Um, you know, Microsoft is one of the biggest players in DID in the traditional space. Uh, they're really bullish on it. I wouldn't expect, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them start to build DID into some of their uh, products in the next couple of years. So, um, yeah. That's that's incredibly insightful, and I, I want to take a second to pivot actually towards machine mm -hmm. uh and how this kind of plays a role. Could you kind of touch on IoTX's vision of the Web three machine economy, um, and more specifically, I know in your guys' roadmaps, you guys talk about DAMs, decentralized autonomous mm -hmm. machines. Can you touch on uh, the role that DAMs will play in generating real value for humans in this uh, visioned future? Yeah, you, you know, so starting with machine fi, right? Machine fi is kind of an encapsulation of IOTEX's vision for what we want to bring to Web3, right? Uh, machine Fi is exactly what it sounds like, machine finance, right? How do we use the machines that people and businesses own uh, and monetize them? How do we gain value from them? Uh, it doesn't have to be money value. It could be reputational value. It could be voting rights. Um, but machines are going to be the arbiters of truth, right? They're going to instruct the blockchain, provide the blockchain with a lot of facts that can be used to build different types of economies, right? Um, you know, in the machine fi space, um, a lot of people think about, you know, if you have a machine like a GPU, like a gaming computer, then sitting idle, you can uh, rent out the resources to people. That's kind of a, you know, that was an idea that, you know, has been around for many, many years. And I think that's one piece of machine fi. But even machines that are purposely, purposefully set up as cash flow generating assets that can be fractionally owned by people, I think this is going to be a really big concept as well, right? If you wanted to own part of a windmill farm, a renewable energy farm, you know, you can have an initial machine offering where you can, um, you know, collect funds in order to install this uh, windmill and you can share in the, the profits that it generates, right? Um, autonomous taxis, a lot of these autonomous machines, that's where that concept of decentralized autonomous machines comes from. But 
there's even a higher level concept that I think is interesting. We just talked about it a little bit. It's DAOs, right? DAOs are the talk of the town in crypto these days. But honestly, I think DAOs are uh, a little hyped, you know, for the reason being that today DAOs are not very decentralized and they're not very autonomous. They're just organizations, right? Um, and the reason for that is because humans have a lot of subjectivity. And when you bring that subjectivity into a DAO, you can't have it be autonomous, right? Because you have to um, coordinate between human emotions and human you know, desires, right? That's the reason why smart contracts are so interesting is because they do what they're told. They're open source. Everyone can know what they do. And when you think about what a machine is, especially a tamper-proof machine with a secure element, the machine is only going to do what it's instructed to do, right? And when you combine tamper-proof hardware with tamper-proof software, it really forms the foundation for automation and decentralization, right? So where I'm really bullish on machine DAOs in the future, right? Where if you have a bunch of drones that you know, are taking instructions to deliver things or to take uh, aerial photography, uh, you know, taking pictures of the top of buildings for insurance purposes, um, there's so many ways that machines can generate value, right? Not just by uh, grabbing data and selling it, but really delivering services that people desire, right? Um, if you guys, you know, pay attention to that, like Boston Dynamics uh, stuff, right? You have dogs that are replacing policemen in Singapore. They're monitoring parks, right? You have like these robot dogs. You have uh, vending machines popping up. You have a lot of uh, ways that machines can generate actual value for people, right? If you have a 3D printer that anyone can permissionlessly access to print out goods, and you're the owner of that 3D printer, that's a cash flow generating asset, right? So um, I think in the, that's the really the interesting thing about what machines are going to be in the future. Uh, it sounds a little black mirror. It sounds a little like iRobot kind of stuff. But I mean, it's the reality of what's happening in front of our very eyes. So we just have to ask ourselves, like, what do we want powering these autonomous machines? If we don't want Terminator to happen, you know, blockchain is going to be a really big proponent of how we trust these machines first and then reap the rewards and the value that these machines generate. And, you know, that's the, really the long-term vision of what MachineFi is all about, right? It's going to start with devices that we own that are capturing data about our daily lives so we can prove things to the blockchain and get rewards. Like one of my favorite use cases, uh, I mean, maybe share two of my favorite MachineFi use cases. The first one is using your location uh, like where you've been in order to claim different NFTs, right? If you could prove that, hey, I went to a pop-up shop this weekend, uh, or I went to this specific concert, or I went to the Lakers game on this specific date, right? Uh, you can get an NFT by registering your GPS information inside Staples Center or <laughs> now Crypto.com Arena, whatever it's called. Um, or, you know, you can use your location in order to be eligible for different types of airdrops or different types of offers, right? And this is really going to change the way that uh, I think businesses engage with people from a geographical level, right? So that's one of my favorite use cases right there. A good example of using machines as proof to gain a reward, right? The other thing that's really, really uh, interesting to me is this 3D printer space, right? Um, and this is where the, the Web3 creator economy kind of intersects also, right? If I'm the dopest jewelry designer in the world, I'm creating these CAD files, these 3D files of amazing jewelry uh, today, 
I don't have a means to sell that as like a digital creation, right? NFTs that represent um, or, you know, uh, DIDs or NFTs that represent my creations. If I can make sure that I can sell my design and it can only be printed once, that changes the game for all of these 3D designers out there, right? Um, it becomes a zero marginal cost product, meaning it doesn't cost me uh, any additional cost to mint more of these. I just create the design and I can sell this borderlessly internationally and using tamper-proof hardware, I can ensure that this is only printed once, right? And that's also a combination of all these things we're talking about, tamper-proof hardware, the creator economy, and of course, blockchain to ensure that that history of transactions and kind of this peer-to-peer uh, marketplace um, uh, is is there, right? So, um, I mean, MachineFi is just such a big concept. You know, I think we're going to start with the industries that manage highly sensitive or highly valuable data, things like automotive, healthcare, uh, renewable energy, and smart cities. Um, but look, everything in the future is going to have some type of sensor built into it or some type of machine monitoring it or just IoT baked into it, right? So um, yeah, if we want to own the future machine economy, Web3, blockchain, and IOTEX is going to be the way. Well, yeah, you, you touched on a, a a ton of like really interesting information on that and kind of go make your point on the Black Mirror episode. It, it does kind of feel like that in a way, but the flip side of that is also with this like kind of gamification of mm-hmm. everything, it does shine light on an incredibly optimistic future as well because with this gamification of everything, I think people will be more aligned on monetizing their passions and what they feel truly passionate about mm-hmm. in the future be able to monetize that and so i think generally speaking once you have that at scale and really rolled out you know decades from now i think that could lead to a a much happier fulfilled life for the average person on earth because um you know i I think we've all had that job at some point in our life where it was our job right like we were literally just there to kind of collect the paycheck and pay our rent and pay our bills so we could survive the next week and so I would like to think of it on the optimistic side of what this could enable. Um, another point I want to ask you on is uh, it was a, I think it was a presentation that you guys were doing. You guys kind of laid out how IOTX really kind of sits the crossroads of the metaverse and the real world um, in some use cases that enabled. I know you kind of like touch on that, but could you kind of like tease that yeah. out? And then in addition to that, um, could you tease out, what it kind of looks like with the internet of trusted things uh, being um, seamlessly interoperable and then kind of just autonomous. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I think about the metaverse, everyone has conflicting perspectives on, you know, what the metaverse is going to look like, right? But the important thing to know is that this is a virtual world, right? Um, It's going to be connected to the physical world, whether it's through a VR headset or other types of devices that, you know, the human actions, whether you're sitting in a chair and just, you know, flicking your fingers around or you're blinking your eyes in order to interact with the metaverse to wearing full body suits and playing those like in like moving around kind of video games, right? All those things are enabled by devices. Um, and that's, again, the reason why devices are really the gateways between the physical and the digital worlds, right? There's a lot of like crazy ideas I could talk about, about like the IOTEX's impact on the metaverse. Like one of the things I think is interesting is like, if you wanted to, uh, 
you know, the metaverse will be a standalone virtual world for a lot of people, right? Where they're completely idle. They're going to be like matrix styles sitting in chairs and they're just going to use their minds to control uh, their digital characters, right? But I think a really interesting thing to think about is if what we do in the real world can impact what our metaverse characters uh, look like or can do, right? Like if you wanted to incentivize people to get out of the house and say, hey, if you go to this meetup for Splinterlands or for Axie or for the next big metaverse game, then we're going to give you a skin uh, in the real game, right? Or another crazy thing is if you prove that you've worked out or you ran five miles and you're being healthier, then maybe your metaverse character can be healthier too, right? So that's really the physical to digital interaction. Again, where th like things that you do in the real world can impact your status in the, in the virtual world, right? Even crazier thing to think about is when you do things in the virtual world, it can bring you benefits in the real world, right? This design space is still need to be thought out a little bit, but you know, if you win a competition in the metaverse, right? Um, or you attend a concert in the metaverse, who's to say in the future that an autonomous drone can't deliver you a physical airdrop a reward, right? A concert t-shirt or, uh, you know, some type of prize or even some cash, right? Um, it's just interesting to think about like the, as the, the split between the real world and the virtual world uh, gets blurred, right? Machines are going to be the ones that really uh, instruct both sides to do things. And I think that's just the design space. Uh, that's really interesting, you know, I think the metaverse is one of those buzzwords also that came about in late 2021. I think we have a long way to go before we get there. But for a fact, machines and devices are going to be a huge part of that. The hardware is honestly the limitation at this point, right? Um, when you think about like running Battle Royale games on Fortnite, you know, those aren't 40 people in one server. Those are parallel servers running this game for you, right? And when you think about adding not 40, but 4 million people into the metaverse, you know, the hardware is a limitation at this point. So we'll see how that hardware evolves. But even the hardware that powers the metaverse, who's going to own that, right? If we can have the same concept of Bitcoin where people are running their own nodes um, or, you know, the blockchain kind of validator set to say, you know, uh, distributed um, power of the metaverse, um, where people that provide power to the metaverse also get rewards for doing so. That's also like a very foundational concept that I think uh, is overlooked a little bit. But uh, I mean, it, it even makes my head spin to think about that stuff right now. But uh, what we're really focused on IOTEX is how do we make that physical world to virtual world thing happen, right? Whether that virtual world is going to be the blockchain or it's going to be some type of virtual world powered by a blockchain. Um, I forget what the, the second question that you, you had was. Um, got lost in the metaverse there. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the uh, thorough deep dive. I, I think I just asked about just kind of your guys' vision. Um, I think this is a question specifically from, from your roadmap of kind of the evolution of things, but the uh, internet of trusted mm -hmm. things and how, you know, in the future, machines will kind of just be autonomously interoperating yeah. with each other. Um, and the innovative use cases that that could kind yeah, of bring, yeah. which you had kind of 
touched on a little bit earlier. For sure. Um, you know, I think there's another technology that's really important when we think about the real future, right? We're talking, you know, maybe five years out and that's AI. You know, AI is going to be a huge proponent of how um, these digital economies are run, right? And, you know, blockchain, AI, and IoT, I think is a holy triumvirate. And each one has a really specific role, right? IoT and all these sensors out there, they're going to be the data producers, right? They're going to be collecting, they're going to be generating, capturing, uh, and transmitting data. Um, and, you know, what uh, AI is going to do is going to make sense of that data. It's going to be the data uh uh, analyzer or the data value extractor, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of ways we can extract uh, value from data manually today, but when we have autonomous algorithms that are, you know, uh, autonomously generating value from the data from the devices that we own, that's going to be a huge thing. And where blockchain comes into play is making sure all of that is trusted and transparent and, you know, connecting people all around the world. Uh, for this value exchange mechanism, right? So um, when we think about the internet of trusted things, that's what I think about, this holy triumvirate of blockchain, IoT, and AI. Again, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, all of these things individually are still in, not in their infancy anymore, but they're still evolving, right? AI is nowhere close to the AI that's potentially going to be like smarter than humans, right? IoT, you know, you still have a lot of devices that, you know, can talk to servers, but they can't talk to each other yet, right? So there's a lot of connectivity things involved. There's a lot of interoperability things involved with blockchain is going to help a lot with, but IoT is still nascent, right? Blockchain is probably the most nascent of all of these technologies, right? The user experience sucks. Um, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed with blockchains from the scalability and the decentralization perspective, but I'm 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 really positive around the way all these technologies are evolving individually. And the exciting part is when all of them come together to form these solutions, right? Um, so I think that's really, you're talking about the 10 year roadmap of IOTEX. You know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the whole team, but I think that's a huge opportunity right there. Um, the autonomous value creation using blockchain, IOT, and AI. I have to ask a follow-up question. I'm sorry, me too. I know you have some questions you want to get to, but uh, Larry, you bring up a really interesting point. And I, I think I, AI is going to be uh, massive for humanity on a global scale. Mm -hmm. But the thing about AI is, you know, it's only good as the data that you train yep. it to be, right? So if you kind of are training an AI model with very low-quality um, opinions or low-quality information or low-quality data, you're going to get very kind of low-quality service out mm -hmm. of AI. And what, what I see blockchain and IoT kind of like what you're talking about, like bringing this like perfect trifecta into play is creating this uh, infinite plane of deterministic data that can then be used to train AI models that could then be used uh, on a global scale for humanity to make us more efficient, uh, potentially stewards of our planet, or just kind of just make us uh, more efficient as a species as a whole. Is that kind of like, the end game of where you kind of see this going, just having all this deterministic data on all these various different blockchains and using all that data across the world to kind of train AI um, to help us be, whether it's a better steward, better innovators, better creators or whatever it may be. But it's kind of kept within the confines of the blockchain 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think there are a lot of AI algorithms that are going to be pulling data directly from verifiable sources, right? Like we talked, I've I've talked to a lot of machine learning kind of uh, uh, coders, right? And the one thing that they don't care about or they don't want to do is they don't want to manage the data, right? Like uh, today, you know, a lot of people don't know, but like all those CAPTCHA things that where you're saying like, hey, find all the pictures that have a boat in it or have a stop sign in it. You're being tricked by Google or whatever CAPTCHA person uh, to train an AI. You're selecting pictures and you're clicking these buttons. They're basically a distributed click farm. Uh, there's a lot of people that are paid to just click buttons and say, hey, this is a cat. It's not a cat. Or there are stop signs in these pictures and there's something that looks like a stop sign in this picture, but is actually not, right? You are training those AI algorithms. And again, you know, you're the product, you know, uh, similar to a lot of this other Web2 stuff going on. But, you know, the, I think the future of AI, um, there's, there's something called federated machine learning. And it's different than, you know, everyone dumping all their data into a pool and giving up ownership of it in order to train an AI model. Federated machine learning or federated AI is where you don't bring the data to the code. You bring the code to the data, right? So it's basically uh, you install some type of app on your phone. The phone will train that model directly on your phone. So the data never leaves your mobile device or your computer. And then you, you know, once the job is done, you get some type of payment for it and, you know, you delete the app, right? So there's a lot of ways that AI can be more safe and user centric. Um, and I think blockchain is going to play a huge role in that. But again, I think, you know, I'm not an AI expert by any means, but um, the evolution of AI today is nowhere near <clears throat> what it should be. And I think when we start to make AI and training these models more collaborative and bottoms up instead of having to trick people into clicking these things in order to train algorithms, um, it's going to be a big deal, right? Um, AI, another thing that is really tricky about it is, you know, people talk a lot of shit about blockchain, about being energy intensive. You guys should look into how much energy is used to train some of these like natural language processing things that, you know, help to do speech text, right? Uh, I was just in our uh, IOTEX Telegram group and someone was saying, wow, um, this speech to text thing is super good on, on Twitter. Well, whatever AI that's powering this speech to text thing is probably a nation state's worth of electricity to train that model. Right. So I think blockchain, I think blockchain gets a bad rep. Um, you know, of, of course, Bitcoin is, uh, you know, using a ton of energy, uh, in order to main full, maintain full decentralization, but you know, um, it, it's, it's more tenable when the energy comes from individuals, uh, rather than kind of like uh, centralized entities, I think. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, not, I'm overextending myself if I talk about AI anymore. But I think it's going to be a huge part of our future. And, you know, amongst all of these things, you know, blockchain has to be trusted. IoT has to be trusted. AI really, really has to be trusted or else, you know, there's so many dangerous stories that uh, you hear from people like Elon and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, we definitely don't want a Terminator situation to happen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We definitely have to trust the AI. For sure. I mean, it's going to creep up on us, Um, too. We also Mm -hmm. saw that, you know, I think you... you Oh, yeah, dude. It's it's coming fast, so definitely got to put regulations and safety precautions in place. Um, I also want to talk to you about some of the devices that are currently on... I, the IOTX. Um, I know we kind of touched on the Pebble, 
Um, but you also have the UCAM device um, available on your site. Could you kind of touch on like how that's actually using the, I, the IOTX uh, technology? And I was also curious if UCAM and Pebble are being developed internally, or is that something that um, an external team is, is building? Yeah, you know, we, we took the hard task of creating these devices, uh, not by ourselves. We had really great partners to do it. Like you mentioned UCAM, right? UCAM is a product we put out um, at the end of 2019. At the beginning of 2020, we won the CES Innovation Award for cybersecurity and personal privacy for UCAM. And since then, it's been listed on Amazon. It's been listed on a ton of physical retailers like Beta in the U.S. and internationally. There's about 10,000 of these things. If anyone wants to check it out, it's 50 bucks. Uh, the, the very first blockchain-powered device out there. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or ucam.iotex.io. Um, but, you know, that's the first really uh important thing about devices like you know we see the evolution of blockchain powered devices in a very clear roadmap right the first thing you have to do is you got to trust the device right uh trust the device to make sure that it's working for you and that's not something we can say for any of the devices that we use on a daily basis right like the ring cameras that are in our houses there's been so many stories about people hacking into ring cameras uh, which are manufactured by amazon you know talking to people's kids pretending they're santa claus there was a huge media storm around that. Since then, they've added some 2FA, but you know, you, you have to realize that Ring owns all of your data. Even like big security companies like ADT have been in the news because of these man-in-the-middle attacks where their employees that have God mode access to the database are spying on people having sex or doing weird things in their house, and that's just not okay, right? So the first step is to make sure that the, the devices we own work for us and only us, and that's really what UCAM is all about, right? Um, we made that device with a large security camera manufacturer called Tenvis. And they came to us with a real problem, right? And I think this is another huge benefit of what blockchain can do for the hardware industry is that they've been manufacturing security cameras since 2005. And if you look up security camera on Amazon right now, filtered for four stars, filtered for prime delivery, you're still going to get tens of thousands of results, right? It's such a hyper-saturated market. And people are trying to win this market by making cameras fly or, you know, adding like, you know, crazy features that nobody needs uh, in a security camera, right? That's how they're trying to differentiate. When in reality, I think the biggest feature for security cameras is security and privacy, right? So that's what Tenvis came to us with, the challenge of how do we make our, our camera completely private and user-owned? And, you know, I think it's crazy. We spent a lot of time working on UCAM back in 2019 and, you know, um, it's great to see people actually enjoy the product. I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, in this Twitter spaces that have a UCAM and are enjoying it. Um, but the next foray into like the next evolution of devices is going to be like a pebble tracker, right? Where you're not only trusting the device to work for you, but other people can trust this device because the data that's coming out of it is verifiable, right? And that's really where that secure element technology comes into play. So that's where pebble tracker comes into play we built this thing completely from scratch, but with the help of Nordic Semiconductor, which is a publicly traded billion-dollar semiconductor company uh, out of the, the Nordics. And um, you know, Pebble Tracker is really providing that next level of blockchain-based uh, devices, right? Uh, or blockchain-based device innovation uh, to make the, the the data that comes out of it useful for not only the owner but also for other people because. All the data that's captured by the device is signed immediately as it's captured. And that makes the, the signature, 
um, the device has a decentralized identity, is registered to the contract, so you know that the device that signed this data is legitimate, right? And the data that's coming out of it is trustworthy. Um, there's a lot, there's, I'm not saying this is completely um, non-spoofable, right? If you hold the heat lamp to Pebble Tracker, uh, it's gonna read the temperature uh, just as, you know, uh, it's, it's gonna report uh, facts about the real world, right? But there's a lot of data validation things, data scrubbing you can use to identify fraud and using like, you know, some blockchain primitives like slashing, uh, you can make sure, you can disincentivize people to fake that data, right? So just like consensus mechanism, right? How do you make sure that there's a single version of the truth? There's a lot of complex designs out there. You're going to see a lot of that around the data that comes to blockchain from devices as well, right? And I think the last really big device innovation is when we not only trust the data that comes from devices that aren't owned by us, but we also trust the services that devices can give us without needing to know who owns this device at all, right? Uh, if I trust a 3D printer to print something out uh, legitimately, or I trust a drone to deliver something, or I trust that autonomous taxi to take me where I need to go, that's going to be the last big piece. Um, and that's something that's on our, on our future roadmap. Um, I gleaned over one important thing, right? Like there was a big piece of news that came out last year that was really inspiring to me. And it's that Kickstarter uh, is going to uh, look into using blockchain, right? Going back to that challenge that Tenvis, that security camera manufacturer brought to us, it's so hard for hardware manufacturers right now. Like hard, hardware is a shitty business, man, because you spend years building a piece of hardware. Um, it's not like software where you can launch it and just patch bugs as you go. You launch a piece of hardware, it has to work right out, out of the box or else you, know, you can't just like uh, make a hardware upgrade. You can make a firmware upgrade, but that's not going to fix any like sensor issues or anything like that, right? So people spend a lot of time building this hardware and don't have the means to put it into the hands of people, right? This is where tokenomics and Web3 really comes into play, right? If a hardware manufacturer can launch a device and say, okay, early adopters, we're going to have a fungible token that's associated with how much you use this device, it doesn't even have to be necessarily you have to give us your data from the device, but just, you know, uh, we want to protect your security. So every time you use our security camera and view the videos that is captured throughout the day, you're making yourself more safe. We're going to issue you some tokens, right? Or, you know, hey, you know, uh, with wearable devices, every time you track your sleep, we're going to give you some type of tokens, right? These tokens don't have to represent money. They can represent, you know, voting rights. They can represent loyalty points that you can use to get discounts on other devices. I really fundamentally believe that like, if people get even a small amount of payment, they're going to feel like they're included in the product themselves, right? Um, I think a really good example of this is Waze, right? That map app. You have all these people tagging potholes, telling people where cops are around the corner, adding points of interest. Waze was sold to Google for billions of dollars. But what happened to all those people that helped to create this product by annotating this map, right? If Waze had even given a little bit of that acquisition, uh, that billions of dollars of acquisition costs, I guarantee you that the usage of that would explode, right? So same thing with the hardware devices that we use, right? Um, I think it's a huge opportunity, this kind of launchpad model that's already really blowing up in crypto. If you could bring the launchpad model plus some aggressive early adopter bootstrapping tokenomics for people to use the hardware, 
and then seek the equilibrium point that we discussed earlier down the road, I think this is going to be a huge concept for bringing Web 2 into Web 3, right? So, yeah, there's so much uh, stuff that blockchain can do for the hardware industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also noticed that you guys are using this powered by IOTech sticker um, on your packaging and devices. I was really curious around like the plans around the sticker and if that was going to be required on all the device packaging. And that was if and if that was kind of alluding to you guys providing some type of like uh, consumer education to like the public market around blockchain. Um, and if you had like any plans around. Um, how, how are you going to how are you going to be distributing uh that type of education to like the everyday person? yeah for sure this is also a learning lesson that we've um not learned the hard way but we've looked at some great examples and i, I go i go back to helium right helium is really the uh they did a really amazing job of designing their bootstrap tokenomics and the one big decision that they made was they open sourced their hardware you know um helium started by manufacturing all these devices by themselves, right? And let me tell you that, especially this year with the chip shortages and the supply chain delays, like manufacturing Pebble Tracker was a bitch, man. It was really, really hard to do. Um, but we finally got it into the hands of about 600 people, another thousand coming. Um, but, you know, the choice to open source that hardware and let anyone manufacture this device, knowing that, you know, it's going to be hooked up to the IOTEX network or the Helium network at the end of the day, you know, that's really what we want to do. We don't, we're not trying to sell hardware and make a profit. It's a very low margin business. And, you know, we're not making any money. We're actually losing money on the Pebble trackers we've sold because we want to make it affordable for our community. We want people to use this stuff, right? Um, the powered by IOTEX thing is the fact that regardless if we white label this device and allow people to put their own branding on it, it's still going to be powered by IOTEX because without the software that, you know, seamlessly integrates the hardware, you know, the DIDs, the decentralized identities for devices, these tokenomics modules that we want to uh, make more standardized, all of the plug and play functionality that we're building into this machine five portal, which is launching very, very soon, right? Like we're not scared that people are going to take this device and try to point it to another blockchain because other blockchains can't do what IOTX can do, right? So from the hardware perspective, you can and Pebble Tracker, these are fully functional project products, but they're also proofs of concept for other people to say, wow, you can actually do this stuff. It's not science fiction, right? We want people to build, we want people to take UCAM and white label it and maybe add some extra features to it. Or, you know, if you want to create a Pebble Tracker, you don't need all those sensors for a use case you're doing. You only need GPS and light. You can remove all the other sensors, lower the cost, white label that. We're really, really happy to do that. You know, we don't want to be uh, in the hardware manufacturing space ourselves. We want to work with hardware manufacturers and bring this Web 2 industry into Web 3, right? Another really big initiative that IOTEX has this year is making Raspberry Pi and Arduino dev boards um, really seamlessly integrated with IOTEX with a lot of uh, nice SDKs, right? Like these are devices that anyone around the world can order uh, online, it'll be at your door in a week, right? You can buy attachments to it, you can buy extra sensors for it, you can even buy secure elements to attach to Raspberry Pis today. And what's really interesting, a lot of the pilot projects and you know enterprises we talk to, 
you know, they're not using Raspberry Pis to prototype anymore. They're using these things in production, right? So these things are just mini computers with operating systems on them. And if we can make them compatible with IOTEX, that brings this whole universal uh, IoT hacker community to blockchain, right? It's not really too different architecturally. You know, you're grabbing data from devices and you're pointing it to some database. In the, in the past, it was some cloud. In the future, it's going to be IOTEX or some other blockchain, probably IOTEX, right? Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, you know, hardware is hard, man. But, like, we had to do it because we had to prove that this is possible. If, you know, if we didn't do this, then we would just be looking at white papers all day. It's going to be hard to convince a uh, hardware manufacturer to come, on, to come on board if we couldn't ship one to these and say, hey, try it out for yourself. It's real, right? So, um, you know, a lot of effort to make this stuff happen. But um, that's, that's how all these layer one blockchains really start, right? They build their for own first applications on their own platforms. They are the customers of their own platforms. And they show people that, hey, my blockchain can support a billion dollars in TVL and uh, millions and millions of transactions. And that gives people the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to go build on this blockchain now. Same thing for IOTEX, both at the software level, at the DApp level, and at the hardware level, right? So the proof is in the pudding. Uh, a lot of people that talk about blockchain and IoT, but um, until you see real devices, you know, streaming verifiable data to their blockchain, then... You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to trust those claims. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like how you guys aren't just like talking about doing it; you're actually doing it, and uh, that definitely speaks volumes to to the team and and, and uh, everything that you guys are working towards. Um, I had a ton of community questions reached out about like what the U.S. Navy contract is about. Could you could you also touch on that and? And how IOTEX fits, fits into that contract? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, Pebble Tracker was originally designed to be an enterprise focused device, right? Uh, it's the perfect device for remote asset tracking. You know, people can also carry it with them, attach it to their bikes, attach it to their cars to track, you know, movement and location and things like this. But, um, you know, IOTEX is a member of a lot of industry consortiums. Uh, I mentioned the IEEE standard we're uh, chairing. We are also really big. Um, uh, contributors to Moby, which is the Automotive Alliance. We're running some really cool pilots, um, one called Trusted Trip, which is basically tracking a vehicle's position through space and time and using that data to, you know, um, attach business logic to it, whether you want to automate toll payments based on your location with this verifiable data or you're using it to uh, just track your trip and prove that, hey, you know, I went from point A to point B along this route and, there's no denying it because I have this verifiable piece of data, right? Um, we're also in the industry IoT consortium, the IIC, which is a group of folks that are more industrial IoT companies. And we're running a, um, a medical supply chain test bed with um, some enterprises in that space. But, you know, specifically about that U.S. Navy thing, um, there is a company called Consensus Networks um, based out of Indiana. And they've been a delegate, a block producer um, in IOTEX since the very, very beginning. Um, and, you know, they, they come from a military background. Uh, the founder of Consensus Networks, Nate, is a former Navy. And they've received grants from the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Navy, and I think some National Institute of Health type of organizations. Um, but the, the latest grant that they received, not, not just a grant, but a contract, is from the U.S. Navy. 
to build a medical supply solution, my medical supply chain solution to track um, uh, medical assets for the Navy, whether it's blood or prosthetics or even vaccines or, uh, you know, clinical trials related stuff. You know, we're talking about literally things that require military grade security and trust, right? So, you know, Pebble Tracker is being used in those pilots and in those solutions. Um, and what's really interesting is that consensus networks didn't choose to build this enterprise focused medical supply chain solution on an enterprise blockchain like Hyperledger, right? Thank God that era is over because I don't think that was real uh, blockchain. I think, you know, that's just a shared database without the tokenomics and without the other things that public blockchains provide. I think that, you know, I'm glad that era is slowly dying down, right? But they, uh, consensus networks decided to build on the IOTEX public blockchain and using our Pebble Tracker device, right? And, you know, going back to that white labeling solution, they're using Pebble device as a prototyping kit and eventually, hopefully, going to uh, redesign the inner workings of the device to say, hey, maybe we don't need this motion sensor. We just need the temperature and we just need the GPS. Um, but, you know, that, that's really how the, that, that, um, that use case came about. If you guys want to learn more about that use case, there's a really nice Cointelegraph article that lays out some of the benefits. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other pilots that are in motion that we can't really talk about right now that have similar big names to it. Um, the need, like selling trust today and selling security is hard, you know, because enterprises don't like to spend money that they don't need to, right? Like coming from consulting, I know for a fact that big enterprises only make uh, digital transformation decisions when regulation demands them to, right? Um, and I think we're really in an interesting time with regulation, both from a consumer privacy perspective and like a data trust perspective for enterprises, right? For the solutions that really require absolute trust, they're going to be seeking blockchain and secure hardware solutions much, much more from now on, right? But even from like a consumer device perspective, you know, GDPR and CCPA and all these data privacy regulations are making owning your consumer's data or owning your user's data. It used to be an asset. Now it's a liability because if you fuck up um, owning your customer's data, you're going to be paying massive, massive fines because of GDPR, right? So these, these companies don't want to touch user data anymore. They would much rather deliver services to users and have users self-custody their data. So I think the future, you know, we're waiting on these regulations really take full impact, but I feel that, you know, regulation is really one of the biggest drivers of change. And we're going to start to see that change really come to life really soon. Yeah, man, it's the space, the space just this past year has been crazy um, in terms of the space's growth and, and everything that everything that we've seen. I can't imagine uh, what 2022 is going to bring. Uh, Larry, I'm curious, like, is there anything you, you want to plug on? on the roadmap you guys are working on for 2022 that the audience should be aware of and, and look out for? Yeah, man. I mean, 2022 is really the year of machine five for us, right? We spent the past, you know, we spent maybe 2017 to 2019 building out the blockchain. Um, you know, it's always being continuously iterated and making more scalable, making more secure, making more decentralized, all that, you know, that's ongoing work. But, you know, from 2020 to 2022 or 2020 and 2021, we put a lot of behind the scenes work into this uh, IoT compatibility for blockchain, right? 
in the next week or so, there's already a lot of Pebble Tracker owners that are playing with this, but uh, we're launching what's called the Machine Five Portal. Um, it's going to be integrating all of these components that we talked about today. Pebble Tracker, you can register it. Uh, TrueStream, which is that real-world data oracle, is built into it. And it's really going to be the place that people go to register their devices, um, uh, give them an identity, and start to use this data within dApps for the very first time, right? And it sounds very simple, but like the, the tech behind it is really, really sophisticated. So we're just really excited to get it out there. Um, like many things, you know, some pieces are going to start on testnet. Some components are going to be centralized. But over time, we're going to decentralize these components. I would consider TrueStream to be very similar to the graph, right? Where it's indexing data in a way that dApps can ingest very easily. We're doing the exact same thing, but not just pulling data from blockchains. We're pulling data from machines, indexing them, making them available to dApp users and dApp developers. And I think that's just a really interesting piece, man. Like we talked a little bit about MachineFi intersecting with GameFi and intersecting with DeFi. I think that I would really love to talk, if, if this piqued the interest of anybody on this call, um, would love to talk to you guys if you're building GameFi and DeFi apps to see how can, we re how can we use real world data to you know, make these you know, version twos of these apps much more interesting, right? Um, I just saw Centrifuge and Aave launch a real world asset marketplace where you can take loans off of real world assets, meaning like financial security assets. But what if we can take loans on the machines that we have or you know, take loans based on the cash flows that our machines are going to generate, right? This is a whole new flavor of DeFi that's going to emerge. GameFi, we talked a lot about this already. What if we can use real-world data to make play-to-earn not just digital, but also physical, right? Do things in the real world to earn digital assets or digital reputation. Um, so my plug for everyone, you know, is not to, you know, look at any shilly or like non-factual articles that we write. Just use our products, you know, follow our channels. We're going to be announcing many components of the MachineFi portal uh, in the next few uh, days and weeks. And, um, you know, even Pebble Tracker is still available for sale. Um, you can find the links uh, directly on our website, iotex.io. So, you know, um, experiment with this, you know, first instance of blockchain IoT that's really coming to life um, and join the community. There's a lot of people that, you know, throw us crazy ideas all the time. And I really, really love it, man. Like, uh, that's really the power of crypto is you know, we have a view of what MachineFi is going to look like, but MachineFi is bigger than IOTEX. It's bigger than, um, it's bigger than just what IOTEX wants to do with it, right? We want to provide the infrastructure for people to use this concept and bring it to life with their domain expertise, right? We don't know anything, and we don't know as much as healthcare companies know about healthcare. We don't know as much about smart home stuff as smart home uh, manufacturers, right? We don't know much, uh, we don't know as much DeFi as DeFi builders. So the intersection of what we provide as an infrastructure and a platform with the domain expertise of all the builders in crypto and Web3, um, that's really the beauty of it. So um, that's my plug, man. Check out IOTEX. Get in touch if you want to uh, learn a little bit more. Um, Let's go. And, and Larry, like, where, where, where can people follow you as well if they want to stay in touch? If you have like a newsletter, social media, plug away. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I would just go to iotex.io. We have a great newsletter. You know, drop your email there. Uh, you can follow iotex on Twitter at iotex underscore io. 
we got Telegram, we have a Discord that's mainly focused on developers. Um, and, you know, we, we're publishing a lot of content all the time. Uh, I think Twitter is the best place to keep up to date with IOTech. So throw that a follow. Um, I'm trying to post a little bit more on Twitter lately. Uh, if you want to throw me a follow too, but um, yeah, man, uh, there's just uh, Reddit, you know, there's a lot of different social media channels where uh, anywhere where you like to interact, IOTEX is, uh, is there or is coming there. Larry, this has been a super informational podcast, by the way. I just want to go ahead and say thank you. Um, it's a lot to digest, so I'm definitely going to have to listen to this one again. Um, but I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, as IOTX progresses, you know, you're more than welcome to come back on as a new items release and new updates. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I think, um, we'll definitely jump back on, um, maybe even mid year. I think it's gonna be a lot of interesting machine five stuff that's going to be popping up. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think, um, we're just getting started here. So, um, thanks for having me, man. Uh, Really excited for what the future holds. Also, uh, awesome. before Chase closes out as well, we do record these. Uh, are you okay with us putting this on YouTube? Yeah, for sure, man. I was actually looking at um, the Axie one you did uh, just to see what the, the vibe would be like. But um, I really like the questions you guys asked. You know, definitely really informed about the space, asking all the right questions. So, um, you know, I'll definitely share that to our community as well. They. Let's go. We appreciate that, Larry. Thank you so 100%. much. 100%. All right, guys. Yeah, you thank too. you so much, Larry. Yeah. All right, everyone. Stay, stay based. Oh, man. <laughs> look out. Look out, guys. We're dropping a huge episode announcement tomorrow, so look out for that announcement. It's going to be crazy. Oh. All right. All right. All right, guys. All right, guys. All right, guys. Later. Peace. Stay based.